You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real Show. It's Lisa Cherney. I'm your host. And I have a question to kick us off. And that is, is your career or your business the safe choice? Our guest today, Jay Rook, went from being an attorney in New York to going to culinary school to opening up a restaurant to his current version of his career, which is a coach for spiritually curious business owners pursuing their entrepreneurial journeys in search of personal fulfillment. And he is going to share with you how he kept going from one safe choice to the other until finally he had a huge awakening, if you will. (laughs) I think you'll hear that he puts it a lot differently. When he finally got to his dream of opening up a restaurant here in LA. So he is a, he calls himself a personal development coach. He lives in Northern California and he is super crazy, creative, funny, uh, has aspirations in, of the comedic variety. And he's just a hoot. And it's, it's hard to imagine him like as in a suit as a, an attorney and <laughs> And but I know many of you can relate to a prior life that you see yourself in where you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and as of course, the stories we share here are all around the GFR wormhole and that struggle that has a purpose. You will see how it all is a tale that winds around and up and down and through to really land on you know where Jay, Jay is today. Uh, he has a cool podcast called um, No Pain, No Gain, and K-N-O-W, No Pain, No Gain. I helped him celebrate his 100th episode by interviewing him. And oh my gosh, it was quite, it was quite a thing. He had the intention of coming out about a lot of his journey. And uh, I was so honored to, to be the one to, to hold space for it to um, unravel for him to share with his audience. So we'll put a link about, to that in the show notes as well. So I'm super excited for you to meet him and to hear he was so um, vulnerable and you know we I talked to him about his relationship he's been he was been married to the same gal <laughs> this whole time I gave a, even a shout out to Alice 
um, on the show. He's been married to, this, to her this whole time that he's been on this journey of self-discovery. And in a lot of ways, he reminds me of my husband, Greg, and uh, the journey that we've been. We just celebrated our 25th year of marriage, and it's been, it's been quite a journey. Jay now has two, has twin, twin five-year-olds, uh, a girl and a boy, which during this uh, COVID time, he is the primary parent for, and that has been a spiritual journey in and of itself. And if you check out his Facebook page, he's just, he has the most awesome sense of humor and shares the funniest freaking stories about what's happened with his uh, twins. Just the other day, he I saw a picture it was a coffee cup with some something at the bottom of the coffee cup. And it turns out that uh, he was drinking his tea and it's tasting fine. And then he gets towards the end. He's like, this tastes weird. And he realized there was like a thing of Play-Doh in the bottom of his cup. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. So we, we have to have senses of humor about that. So I'm looking forward to you getting to meet him and to hearing his great story. And, and at times it gets... It gets quite raw, and I really applaud him for going there, and I'm um, happy to call him a new friend. So without further ado, Mr. Jay Rook. Jay Rook, welcome to the GFR show. Woohoo, Lisa, I am so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here, and and I'm. it's so fun to have where I've been on your show, and then, you know, weeks later, you're on my show, except we have a little caveat to that, because... Even though I was on your show, I wasn't the guest. You were the guest. And I got to interview for you for your 100th episode. That was so fun. It was, it was a blast. And I, I, you're right. There's got to be some term of art for this uh, back and forth on each other's shows. got to be some like pod swapping or whatever. Because now we have to have you back onto my show as you being the guest. So round and round we go. Yes, it would be really fun. And because we are evolving entrepreneurs, it's fun just to even see. And because the context of what's happening in the world also, I feel like is a crucible is what I called it on my a recent episode. I called it the COVID crucible. Well you know, I, I feel like that it's evolving us even even quicker. And so some of the some of the ahas that you got when I interviewed you for you sh- your show, you've been living with for four weeks. And so they may come out here. I think so. There's been some percolating for sure. Yeah. So Jay is super interesting guy. Uh, You heard all about him in the intro. And so we're just going to jump in. I'm I'm so excited to get to the after because you've had such a like juicy shit happening after. But let's start with the before um, or one of the befores. So where do you want to start with what you want to share on your wormhole journey here? Yeah. You know, I I think the the most simple uh, Reader's Digest version would be something around profoundly going through a deep self-introspection period and realizing that I needed to leave the law that I wasn't happy and kind of wrestling with that uh, only to go to culinary school, which was super inspirational and exciting for me. Uh, and, and then years later would move out to uh, California and make a stab at uh, my own entrepreneurial journey and opened a restaurant, which would later uh, become an involuntary nonprofit, as I like to say. And uh, <laughs> the lessons began from there. So that, that's kind of the, the high end version. And then you tell me what okay, you want to slow l- down. Let me decide. Yeah, where, where do I want to dive into the timeline? Let's let, I think it is, I think it would be fun to talk about how you got yourself to leave the law and even go to culinary school because they're so, di- obviously, they're so different, you know? Right. And I think there are so many uh, listeners that appreciate starting in a career that was sort of like accidental. Like, I don't need that. You know, there's so many stories I don't even have. You know, my, my husband wound up as a chemical engineer because that major wasn't impacted at universities. And he it was like his third choice. And the, the counselor just said, oh, well, no, you won't get in there with that. And you won't, oh, but here you'll get it. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll do that. You know, it's like, right. is that a way to pick a career? 
So, you know, how you wound up in law and then, you know, what it really took for you to leave it, I think would be, let's start, let's share a little bit there. Totally. And I, I think an overarching theme of the episode, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase the, the Ram Dass quotation around life is um, we, we walk through the woods, getting to know ourselves. Help me out here. Do you know what I'm no, talking about? No, I don't know it. So I oh. can't relieve your suffering in this moment. Totally. <laughs> Just paraphrase totally. It, it. It's What's the idea of it? introspective quote around basically, you know, our lives arc is us just getting to better know ourselves as time goes on and, and you know, getting that deeper understanding. Yes. And so when I was in law school, I certainly didn't have that going on for myself. I was pretty uh, much operating solely in the, the mental cerebral plane and didn't know what I wanted to do, but that seemed interesting enough. And I knew I was, I was bright and thought I'd be good at it. So uh, away we go. Then what I learned pretty quickly was that I ironically chose litigation, yet I don't like arguing or confrontations or people fighting <laughs> with each other. Uh, and when money is That's involved, exactly why people thought I would be good for litigation. When I was young, people kept telling me I was going to be a lawyer, all for those reasons, which none of which you were. <laughs> right? No, it, it's hilarious. And so uh, I, I found myself distinctly, uh, let's call it out of breed. You know, it's like entering a, a, a Datsun in a, a, a Greyhound race found myself just getting more and more disenchanted, disengaged, depressed around the day-to-day -day of like, all right, I don't think this is meant for me. This is really hard to walk away from because there's just so much expectation, you know, from friends and, and family and society around walking away from a role like that. And also I didn't know, well, hey, where the hell is next? You know, I'm, I'm semi willing to make this leap, but I don't know what boat I'm jumping into at all. I got introduced to a, uh, career counselor psychologist guy in Connecticut and started uh, making trips out to, to work with him. And his whole gist was, you know, it was, it was career DNA. And basically uh, that these things are pretty hardwired in us and the name of the game is figuring out and getting that self-awareness around what those are. Super interesting point since our last conversation, I was cleaning out my garage and I found my notes from working with him from 2004. Wow. Every single prediction came true to a T, and we'll get to there at the end of this episode, the last one was nonfiction writing and storytelling. That's crazy. Juicy, right? And so totally like, to juicy. his point, the blueprint was there. Yes, uh, and a cool freaking success story for that guy. So you need to go back. <laughs> totally. How often do we get to kind of hear the 10 years or I've been doing this 21 years, so I do get that often enough to kind yep. of give me hope. But yeah, that would be awesome. That's really, all right. I, yes, I definitely want to hear that. So that was the very last prediction was fiction writer. And yeah. if you all check out Jay's Facebook page, he has twin, uh, a boy and a girl that are five. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's been like the primary parent through this COVID craziness. And he's has amazing sense of humor. You remind me of my husband because he used to, he used to write these blog posts when my daughter was young and it would be all like Bella quotes, like wisdom of like the two or three year old. And then sure. he would like relate it to life. And he has a collection of these somewhere. And at one point he was going to write a book, but that kind of helped him maintain his sanity, you know, through the whole thing was just like, you know, finding some, you know, some wisdom in all of it. So yours definitely is um, more on the uh, dark humor side of things, I would say. Yes. But I, it's, yes really really great <laughs> thank you i appreciate that it's, it's it's particularly cathartic for me to uh to write it so thank you you're very welcome okay so so you found your way to to support was that was that a out of the box thing for you to do at the time was to like get help from somebody who 
you know, yeah. was going to like go into more of the emotional side or did you not see it that way or? No, that, that, that was way outside of comfort zone. Uh, and, and you know, it almost felt like some sort of a back alley dealing around just like, Hey, come on over here. You know, it's like, let's talk about this stuff. And so you felt it, secretive, like almost ashamed. Very about much. So, it. Yeah. 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 And, and it was particularly, you know, even though it was pretty mainstream, uh, work, it felt particularly woo-woo to me uh, as well at that point in time. So there was definitely like a leap of faith. Which is really interesting because your woo-woo definition and tolerance has quite totally. drastically changed since right. then. <laughs> yes, so Jay, so, yeah, the so lawyer, learns about his career DNA and somehow lands on culinary. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I always loved uh, cooking and food as a comfort type of thing. And I, I I was pretty uh, entrepreneurial or am, but was learning about that part of me during that time. And so I uh, was very excited to try to open up some type of like pre pre uh, prepared uh, foods store type of thing with some uh, basics, but, but a lot of focus on prepared goods and a lot of farm to table type work at the time. And then I just learned uh, the investment numbers to get something like that going and the risk and the uh, return and all of that. And I was just like, no, I don't have the stomach for this right now. Uh, so didn't pursue uh, a career in food at that point in time, uh, but it would sit with me for many years later. Did you have that vision of the farm to table and the market like going in? Like, is that like the fuel that inspired you to go into culinary? To a degree. So, so I didn't know where I wanted to land, but I thought that that was the most interesting one of the bunch. I didn't think I wanted to work in a restaurant uh, and, and pay those dues and go through, you know, years and years of, of grueling hours to uh, not make much and then that whole route. So I, I thought that was the most uh, interesting kind of Venn diagram of overlapping interest for me at the time. And that was you trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this culinary thing if I'm going to do it? This is, and so you, you kind of landed on that as this is what I could possibly do with it. And so that then you entered in sort of with that vision. Yes, correct. Which, we, which so many of us do, right? Like, you know, I, my daughter is now looking at, you know, the college conversation, you know, she's a freshman, so we're not too far into it, but she's like, mom, you were a communication major? What? What did you do with like, wh why did you choose that? You know, it's like, what does it, what does that even mean? And it's like, yeah. I don't think I even knew, but I just was like good at talking. And so mm -hmm. like, I don't, you know, it was so, there was, I did not have, the point is I did not have a vision <laughs> for what I was going to do right. with that degree. And, you know, and sometimes we, there is a vision, but you know, it doesn't wind up that way. So, so you go through culinary school and you come out the other side with, with a sobering realization that your original vision of opening a farm to table kind of whole, whole food market was not a great business model. Right. Yeah. And, and interesting that you chose the word sobering because the first job uh, after that, that I remember was uh, selling wine uh, in Connecticut. So <laughs> That's that is really funny. That's right. That's right. You have a wine a wine sales person uh, chapter of your story. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of my husband who and I, funny I brought up my husband a lot when I interviewed you too. You two have a lot of parallel things. Um, that he went to carpet school and then wound up teaching, which you also did right yes. after culinary school. You wind up teaching and then um, and now he develops nutritional supplements which is kind of like you selling the wine it's like right. it's related but not really totally related but does like you have obviously the culinary background added credibility to that part of your chapter yeah we'll, we'll have to chat someday he, he sounds like a fascinating guy 
he is a fascinating guy as you are as well yes it's like a renaissance man as we I like to call him yeah <laughs> okay so then what <laughs> yes yeah, so, so you know I'll, I'll broad brush stroke this and, and just say that i i went into employee uh jobs of various forms uh whether it was at Merck Pharmaceuticals or working for a uh, golf channel and uh, bumped around, moved out West. I, I would do well in, in most of the corporate jobs, but I just never felt connected and they just felt way too constrictive uh, to me all the time. And, and so I felt like I was always shutting down uh, at least half of myself in order to play the game and uh, went through that. Did you whole know that cycle. at the time? Did you know Coming that up? like when you were in the jobs, did you feel like I'm shutting down half myself or is that more in retrospect? More in retrospect, I think intuitively it felt off to me. You know, I was never feeling great about throwing 120% into it and waking up inspired. And uh, I just felt like I was always telling myself no during the day. So, yeah, so, you know, that, that just continues to, to grow and bubble up in me, this sort of discontent of those, those more structured jobs slash uh, a lot of inspiration around wanting to create my own something in the world. And so that, that peaks probably, you know, somewhere around uh, 2011 and um, decided I'm going to open a food truck was the, was the plan at the time. And uh, luckily, just because of all the wacko lending standards coming off of 2008, uh, I couldn't get a $100,000 loan, which was fortunate in retrospect, and uh, continued to really try to push for how do I make this next entrepreneurial something happen? I was just like tr willing it through. And I have this aha around, well, wait, what if I hop on Craigslist businesses for sale and uh, came across an interesting opportunity uh, in Vallejo, which is about an hour north of uh, San Francisco. Which was a restaurant that was for sale. Yeah. Yeah. So the deal was, is that it was a guy that owned a marina that had a restaurant in it that wanted the restaurant for his patrons, uh, but didn't want to deal with running a restaurant. And I had no building, but very much wanted to run a restaurant. So uh, that's how it kicked off. Yeah, it sounds promising. It did. Yes, it did. <laughs> and was there um, something that I'm discovering lately with, you know, a lot of the GFR journey for people, it has to do with shame. One of the things I'm noticing is that there's a, something that keeps people anchored it, to the old is significant financial investment that they had made in some degree or certification or education or, you know, something like that. And they just, they just, it just like, they can't imagine like just turning their back on that, that career or that thing, because there's all this money that was, you know, mm -hmm. spent or time, right. Spent on getting that. And so is that part of why you leaned into the next thing or the entrepreneurial thing being restaurant focused because you had made that investment in culinary or was it like, no, I just, this is like, I'm really feeling like this is where I should go. Great question. It, it was more of the latter. I, I think I went that direction because food was the one thing that I, I felt intensely passionate about at that point in time. Uh, but to your point, I would say from law until kind of recent shame has been a major overarching theme that, that I was pretty unaware of the whole time, you know, so it was shame for when I was in the corporate world around, hey, why, why can I not fit in? Why am I happy with this? Then it was shame for leaving the law. Then it was shame around not necessarily leveraging the culinary degree uh, at that time. And then uh, later would be shame from the restaurant failing. So that was, yeah, big arc. Yeah. Before we get into the restaurant, I want to, I want to uh, dip into the parallel personal life because 
you are married and you were, you've been married to the same woman since you were in law school, right? Or you right, became yep. a lawyer. And it's funny because it seems like I'm about to make a generalization. I want to check in on it. It seems like when I speak to women that the connection points into what was going on in their personal life sort of drop in more readily. And as you're talking, I'm just like, oh my God, his, his wife is fucking amazing. Like she's just, <laughs> she's just rolling with this and she's supporting you. And then you had the kids and, you know, and so, so is there anything you want to share about, you know, about navigating this, you know, this journey being in relationship with somebody like my, my husband always laughs that he married like a long haired brunette, you know, marketing person, you yes. know, and like now is he, got, you know, he's got something totally different. And so, um, you know, she's got something totally different. So what do you want to share about, about that and how that's, that's served you? Yeah, it's been a very uh, interesting path. And, and so I have tremendous gratitude and love for Alice for supporting me uh, as steadfastly as she has through all of this. It, it complicated things more. Like there was times where uh, I wish she would say no to some of these things so I could sort of have her as the surrogate protecting myself from some of these journeys. Yes. And I've done that to my husband where I remember specifically at one time I wanted to make a big investment and I totally thought he was going to put the kibosh on it and he didn't. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're like, you're killing me right now. Like I need you to be the regulator, like stop being the dream supporter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, totally. And, and I think the other part that, that made it more challenging uh, in some ways is that she's a very even keel person that is steady Eddie and doesn't have, you know, huge emotional highs and lows and has always liked her work from like her first job out of wow. college, every single thing since then. So uh, at times, you know, hey, it was great to have one stable person in the house. And then also it made the journey for me a little bit more isolating in our own marriage because it, it would turn into a wait a minute, like, how come I'm having these uh, roller coaster spikes and these high highs and low lows while you're, uh, you know, still water. And, and so that contrast uh, was, was challenging to sit with at times. Yes. Gosh, we, because our inclination is just to compare ourselves to the people around us. You know, like I say, I'm a horrible singer, partly because I, I'm, I'm not a great singer, but partly because my husband is an amazing singer, uh, you know, and it's like, that's his thing, you know, for 20, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this week, when, the time of this recording. It's like for 25 years, this has been this person in my life who's a great singer. Yeah. So I would, you know, we do karaoke and it's like, no, that's not my thing. That's his thing. But mm -hmm. it's really only not my, it's really predominantly not my thing because it's his thing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So like this, you know, contrast that we have with the people that we share our life with. And I could feel that could be really challenging to have somebody so steady and really like certain about their career and you know, and here you are, you know, on a journey <laughs> that yes. you could really judge yourself as being, you know, negative in some way. <laughs> a million percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that question. That's go Alice. Right? Shout out to Alice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about the restaurant. What happened? Yeah. So the restaurant journey was like magnesium burning. It was uh, intense and hot and fast and then went away. Uh, it was <laughs> the most exhilarating, meaningful, and soul-satisfying slash soul-crushing thing uh, I've done with my life. The, the long and the short of it is just what we were, two things. One, I, I was inexperienced as an operator, and so there was, and that was like a first-time major uh, entrepreneurial play for me. So there was some of the uh, decision-making and strategic errors that just came along with that that I think are, are relatively unavoidable for a lot of folks in their first year. Uh, and then the other part was just we were 
insanely uh, undercapitalized. I, I think you know, we opened the restaurant with like 11 grand and a credit card or something like that. And so every week was just knowing that like, hey, one bad decision knocks us out of the game. And so it was a very intense uh, ride while it was going. But ultimately, you know, what, what happened was that we were close to running out of money and I wanted to make sure I walked off on a high note, paid employees and vendors and things of that nature. And I think we were down to like the last thousand dollars or something like that. And we sat down and ran some numbers and realized that even with an increase in sales, uh, that was beyond what we could achieve at that point in time. Uh, the, the net profit was going to be so insanely low that it just was not worth the risk to continue pushing in that direction. And so, and that was like six, six months in or something like that. I want to say it was closer to four. And, you know, I've seen enough restaurant makeover shows. Right. <laughs> this is for this question I'm about to ask is that it seems like there's a, a lot of people hold on to their place way longer than they should if you're looking at profit as a measure of success. So, but it sounds like you didn't do that. So I would call that a win. <laughs> fair though. enough. I mean, yeah, yes, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, you know, a, a win in so much is that the experience got in. So and yeah, I'm with you. Like the getting out sooner and having less bloodlet was definitely, you know, it still took a while to get back to like normal self-esteem levels, but that definitely made it a little smoother and not have it be some off the charts, you know, multiple commas involved type yeah. numbers. Can but you yeah, tell, tell that story about, um, that you shared on your show about just that parking lot moment, like just to get into a bit of the, the grit of the, the final moments of the yeah. restaurant. Yeah, I think it relates to your, to your question around why people hold on way longer than they should. Like I've, I've, never, I've never noticed my decision-making or sort of inner uh, emotions get squirrelier than when that restaurant was going on and some entrepreneurial uh, plays afterwards as well. But just how we become so committed and in love with the concept that seeing it let go is like almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so last night of the restaurant, lock things up, obviously pretty uh, heavy hearted. You know, I've got the lone car in the parking lot under a street lamp. I'm just going through like, what the hell now? You know, like this is a, a fuck up of colossal proportions. A lot of public feeling of shame, even though, you know, nobody ever made me feel that way. I was just sort of brought on myself and um, sitting with the financial loss of that 10 people are now out of a job, including myself, wondering like, hey, is the uh, honorable thing to do to commit suicide or like, what the hell? And uh, grab my phone and it's a, a voicemail from my grandmother. And you know, it's, it's paraphrasing here, but it's like, hey, honey, just want you to let you know that we're all thinking about you and love you. And we're so very proud of you and just hang in there. And I know you're busy, so don't bother calling back and just want to say I love you. And, uh, you know, just projectile cry and had, held the face in my hands. and Yeah, and that saved you, it sounds like, that in many ways. Not that you were on the verge of killing yourself in that moment from what you shared, but just that thought, just having those thoughts are scary as hell. And that, voice, that voicemail from your grandmother sobered you up enough to drive yeah, home. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> a, that little pattern interrupt around like, all right, like, no, like, Option B, you know, let's, let's see what else is Stay there. Stay alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's why Shark Tank makes me cry. <laughs> it's totally. why the show Shark Tank is like more of a tearjerker to me than most of the things that I watch on TV because people are so passionate and have put in blood, sweat, and tears and, you know, millions of dollars and, you know, to be in that moment, you know, and then right. just like the soul, sometimes soul crushing that happens on that show 
you know, because totally agree. Right. And they, they, and they are, you could see the ones that are just like, no, nothing you say is going to deter me for, I know this is going to be a winner. And I just believe in this thing. And you're just like, oh my God, you know, you could just see. Oh, I can also see, you know, where they, a show like that massively misleads hundreds or thousands of would-be entrepreneurs because it's kind of like, kind of like some of our marketing gurus of the day. It's like this jazz hands, like, Hey, put a product together. You get on a show, you get funded to this, then you exit then you, and then you, you know, sit on the beach in Thailand and I, I wish they would do more of a check-in around like the six-month-later type stories about what the grueling grit of that day-to-day looks like and, and how much they did not anticipate when they started the journey. Yes, I do too. And I would love to see that. One of, my, one of our other favorite shows is The Prophet. I don't know yes. if you see. Oh my gosh, I love that show. Because it's like, it is like you get the Shark Tank moment, but then you also do get the after. And he is a bit of a family business therapist. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so check it out, y'all. The profit, and it's like on. It's weird. It's like CNN or some weird. Yeah, network. you wouldn't expect it. Yeah, yeah, we love that show. Okay, so here we are now in in an after this. The restaurant was. Twenty eleven. I want to say twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yeah. You, I, I think, if I remember, I have the benefit of knowing your story intimately now. You take another job. I think it's the golf job yeah and so it's like sort of back in corporate and you kept referring uh, on my interview with you like go back to the suit you know we're in a suit again and it's back to corporate and and I think that's kind of where you have a respite of like (sighs) catching my breath you know okay I'm making money like okay and then kind of regrouping and so where are you today now as an entrepreneur and as a you know a coach and yeah, let's 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 give people a picture of the lessons learned along the way, and kind of like how your the perception of what success and not to you, um, how much that's changed. Because I, I want to make sure we have a good amount of time for that, because I I feel like you're so much in, and we talked about this too, like the unmentored journey that I've been talking about, where. Yeah when you're in that season, you've kind of like, you have so many bumps and bruises and you've done all the training and you're kind of like left with you (laughs) and really looking at now based on sort of my own self-awareness and self-knowledge and a rejection of a lot of what I've learned, you know, where do I go from here? And that's where I'm working with people in the unmentor space. And so you are, I think you can really illuminate for people, you know, what that looks like, you know, from your perspective in this, in this, where this phase you're in now. Sure. Yeah. And, and I would say your, your podcast, I forget the episode number, but on uh, the unmentorship process, you know, really touches on these points pretty deeply and resonates a lot with, with what I'm, uh, I'll share now, which is that I still knew there was more work to be done. I knew that I wasn't going to just like go back fully into corporate and just never leave. That was more of a, a respite, like you said. So in parallel during all of this, like probably starting since I started to work with Brian Schwartz in, in 04, uh, that kind of kicked off my introspective curiosity bug into really going deeper into personal development, uh, emotional intelligence, those types of realms. It was something I was always interested in, but that really had me hit the gas on it. What I realized is I wanted to do more of that. I realized that kind of what I really wanted to be from the start of my process with him was some version of somebody like him, but I didn't allow myself to go there. It just seemed too fantastical, too woo, like I said at the time, or too make-believe. And so things like restaurants and, you know, corporate jobs that people know how to put titles on uh, seemed safer to me. And I had this sort of aha around, hey, listen, this has been chasing me for, you know, over a decade now or so. I've really got to lean into this. And so uh, committed to go to coaching school, 
loved that. It was just an awesome, awesome experience. Felt like home the entire time. And then launched my, my coaching practice, uh, which at the start of it was a little bit broadly uh, marketed. I, I didn't have a particular niche I knew I wanted to work in yet. And then I found myself gravitating more and more towards the business coaching side of things and helping people to launch their first businesses and essentially not have the experience uh, that I had. What's interesting today as I look at things is that I realized that part of my journey was me healing me around everything business that I didn't know how to do and all those entrepreneurial and executive functioning mistakes that I made during my first go at it. Uh, and worked on that for a long time, uh, both with myself and, and, and clients over the years. And I wanna say seven or eight years into coaching practice, you know, this is the end of last year, I realized I had created a business that I didn't like a ton. And basically, I relate. I, what's that? <laughs> I relate. <laughs> yeah, right? Not again, no. no. <laughs> and what yeah, you're I selling, mean, like, my Good. biggest credential now is I had a seven-figure business that I let go of. Now it's like my best GFR credential. You know, right? but in the old business, the best credential was the seven figures. So yeah, that's ironic. Totally, totally. <laughs> and and you know, to your point on that, um, I want to say my favorite GFR commandment as it related to the restaurant work, it was either four or nine, but it was like, hey, why am I going through this suffering in order to help others? Type of yeah. So so four no. So GFR commandment number four is trust your struggle serves your mission. Yeah. And then nine is know that if you have a specific mission or calling, there are people who need it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think I came into this at four and realizing, hey, I really want to help and heal these folks and myself in the process. And then I think, not, not to call that work done, but once I had spent a lot of time in that sandbox, I realized that there was still more juice uh, to get squeezed out of all of this. It kind of wound down my business at the end of last year. Uh, ironically, with the intent of relaunching in mid-March of this year, and we all know how that went. So things are still uh, under wraps, <laughs> but it, it was a change around, well, hey, I have made, you know, although they seem courageous and brave, a lot of these plays were like 90% there. You know, there was still 10% in the tank that I was denying about myself or visions and aspirations. And so I was like, hey, I got to go all in on this one and make this next iteration be a hundred percent me as I know myself now. So I, you know, to, we, we chatted about this a little earlier. It's still fluid and emergent, but uh, to your point around, I, I knew I wanted to work humor into my coaching practice more and specifically my humor around looking at the darker parts of life and our emotions and parenting that most folks don't like to look at and then using humor to make it easier to approach that and safe and allow us to laugh uh, at ourselves and, and do that healing and processing. I find myself, you know, starting to post more and more uh, about the twins on Facebook and I realize how much I'm having fun with it. And I could write my best emotional intelligence or business wisdom article on the planet and I'd get like three likes and one was going to be my wife and my mom type of thing. <laughs> but I write these posts about the twins and I'm getting, you know, upwards of 200 likes uh, sometimes and I'm start getting scores of personal messages during the day around people saying, hey, uh, I sneak away from my kids during the day in quarantine to go into the bathroom and, and read your messages or I was losing it today and your laughter really helped get me together. And so to your point around the people needing this, I kind of viewed my humor and ability to write as just sort of like ancillary things. And then when I started to realize, well, wait a minute, what if these are the gifts? And if my way that I look at and process life and writing through this way is the healing for myself and others, then this is clearly a calling. And the universe is very much meeting me on this path right now. 
Uh, so we have a little book in the works uh, right now awesome. around parenting during quarantine. And I think uh, you'll see a lot more of that from me going forward. That's awesome. I love that. I love that parenting during quarantine. I mean, I have one kid. I really love one is what I always say. Like yeah. I just, I could do one, uh-huh. you know, and I like, you know, it's the, the ratio of parent to child is such that I can like give the one, you know, and be, be with zero, you know, like there's just so, so much to one. And when I think about five-year-old twins, I honestly, like, I can't even, I just, I can't even, I can't even. Yeah, no, they're, they're a challenge unto themselves. And, and I was an only child, so uh, oh, with a single were. mom. So like, I had a nice, quiet and peaceful yes, upbringing. Yes, that's what my daughter said. She lo- she's never been like, I want a brother or sister. She's like, I know I have it good. <laughs> it's quiet. Yes. I don't have to share, you right. know? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So what are the clues? What are the strongest clues you have to what the future holds for your expression as an entrepreneur? Ooh, I like that question. Wow, that's a really good one because I, I think I overthought everything historically and everything was viewed through the, that lens and that strategic and, hey, is this a rational or approved of decision uh, by society and mores and stuff like that. So I think the clues for me are, you know, wh- where do you really naturally gravitate to? And I know everybody gives all that BS around, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's things of that nature. <laughs> but, but I don't think we, especially once we hit adult age and stop really, uh, you know, most of us cut off a lot of our connection with play, uh, don't have really clean access to what it is that truly makes us happy and feels like relief. And so we might have little hints, but like we don't sit with that long and deep enough in order to discern you know, hey, it might start with humor, uh, but then the next layer down is writing, or maybe the next layer down are videos or vignettes or skits or whatever it might be, but that continue to deepen that. And I, I think that's where we cheat ourselves. So spending a little bit more time around the deepening and figuring out, hey, what, what is this that gives me a sense of relief when I pursue it? Beautiful. I love that. And, and a question you gave me to ask you which I rarely ask the questions people give me, even though I ask, ask for them, yeah. but I, I love it. And I think it's, it's, and it's so unmentory. So what's made the biggest difference in your entrepreneurial growth? <laughs> so this one's bizarre for me. And I, I think for most people, uh, so we oftentimes invest money, time and money at the sol- solutions to problems as we see them. So as I'm going through this business building process of my coaching practice, uh, I'm working with people, uh, you know, like a Jay Facet to help get better at, at facilitating masterminds or some sales folks or Steve Olsher in the podcast space to, to launch a podcast. And it was helpful. And I, w- I would learn those tricks and things of that nature. But what was missing was alignment with my personal sort of heart guided cellular DNA type of expression. And so what I've realized, having spent a lot, a lot of time thinking about this, is that all that stuff at the end of the day is, is tactics. And I, I say that not to minimize it at all, but it's something that you apply to something else. It's not the whole all and be all of it. And what I started to learn was that the more I spend time uh, with my acupuncturist and learning about Chinese elements and ways of looking at things, or the more time uh, I spent meditating or learning how to use energies back and forth or tap into deeper levels of intuition, uh, the more and more gold was revealed and it made more and more sense to me that I was not loving what I was historically doing because I was executing somebody else's playbook. And so that real freedom to 
sit with this and, and trust and say, hey, it's okay. Like you might be able to actually figure this out yourself and your process might be as good as any of the ones that you're paying these other folks for uh, was something that I needed to go through. But I think now that I'm kind of through the other side of it, right now is a lot more uh, about just really sitting with self and trying to figure out what's that pure expression because almost to the point of the Facebook post, it comes so naturally and freely when it does go through. So, hey, like now that I kind of, I'm licking my finger and putting it up in the air here to sort of, uh, read the air. Now that I'm starting to recognize that emotion, I can start to tap into as I take other actions. Hey, is there a lot of that there in this, if that makes sense? Totally. What is your biggest fear at this point in your journey and how are you dealing with it? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, biggest fear is, is something around, something around like not wanting to make the same mistakes again but also not wanting to throw things away. So hopefully being like, oh no, it's been worthy to keep going through these evolutions because they've just enriched everything coming out the other side. Or is it, hey, this guy needs to get his shit together and just stick with one job and ride it out type of thing. And, and, and so I think dealing with that, that contrast uh, is probably where I'm at the most right now and trying to figure out how do I integrate all of these things in a way that, that feels good to me, but I think will also really change client outcomes as well. And, and starting to, so an example would be, I'm starting to change my coaching practice from one-on-one -on -one phone work to now me going out in nature and doing some one-on-one -on -one phone work and changing, you know, environments and things of that nature. That's fun. You know, it reminds me, I have to mention commandment number 11, um, embrace that you are not the same person you were when you made those mistakes and they will not repeat. Like and uh, what past mistakes are causing me self-doubt now? And uh, such a juicy one. Because we, yeah, we don't want to repeat. Like, you know, I know that when I launched GFR, this is my 21st year in business, so I've done this a few times. I didn't want to go into debt like I had in the past because I was judging myself for, for you know, when I closed that seven-figure business, I was left with some debt. And not because the business necessarily was unsuccessful, but I had chosen to utilize debt you know, for a certain strategy, but I wasn't following through. <laughs> I decided to not follow through. Right. So yep. then it was, le I was left with the, you know, the debt part of the equation. And, um, and I really judged myself for that. And so when I started GFR, there was a lot of resistance still, still, it's not totally hundred percent healed, but uh, there was a significant amount of resistance around throwing money at this thing. And, right. you know, and, uh, and so now I'm much more, you know, making much decisions way more on intuition and flow and inspiration and like following the juices, I like to call it then, yeah. you know, than anything else. But uh, it's, it's a significant thing, you know, to, you know, I really believe everything that we go through, like it is all on purpose and, and you all uh, guests of the show, <laughs> you know, really confirm all that. And uh, yeah, this, it's always sort of there. It's like, uh, I, I really want the upwards. I really want to make sure the spiral is going up. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you know, totally. and I could feel like I'm something's familiar, but I'm totally not at the same place I was when I was there last time. Yeah. And just to stay on that point for one other second, because when you said that, it made me realize your comments earlier about how many of us carry shame and hold on to things way too long because of the investments that we made in them. And I think that's a very third rail theme for me right now is trying, I think that's what, what's holding me back in many ways is holding on to all of those iterations versus saying, okay, let's pick a day, you know, March, March 1st, 2020, who am I from here today going forward and cleaning up some of that scar tissue without all of those 
uh, subconscious connections to all those past thoughts and experiences and perspectives. I love that. And it's reminding me of a quote that came out of uh, one of the Unmentor pods yesterday. Uh, The gal said, um, I feel like I have a clean slate, but I'm just, I, I feel like, I feel like I have a clean slate, but at a higher level. And I thought that was, and this is coming out of, she actually owns a retreat center. And so she's been through a lot in this period of time, you know, with not having any bookings and now things are, you know, she's now getting bookings and she, and in the meantime, it was an amazing period of time for this person to, to really go inside and heal some really significant stuff and let go of significant stuff. And, and she came on the call yesterday and was just like, I feel like I am, I have a clean slate, but at a higher level. And I was like, yes. Like, yes, that's like, that's significant. That's the the biggest thing that I see in in, in the people that I work with is them judging that they're not doing enough. And and my quote, current quote that I keep repeating is living your mission, like living the thing that you believe in is productive. (laughs) So you are totally living it as you're figuring out what you're doing next. You're living it and you're, you know, you're, you're paying attention to what you're saying and what you're doing and it is going to serve you know, where you're going. And so um, I'm super excited to see what's next. We'll have to have you have you back on, Jay, in a, you know, a bit, however long it takes, you know. We'll, we'll see how many careers I go through between now yeah. and the uh, next episode. No, you're not going back to corporate. I'm going to be your sponsor. <laughs> Call me if you're tempted. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name's Jay. I'm going back to corporate. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Jay, this has been a delight. I, I love your sense of humor and your reverence around your story. And, and at the same time, the, just the deep, um, the deep connection you have to the journey. And yeah, it's been a delight to spend this time with you. I really appreciate uh, the invitation and I hope your listeners uh, enjoyed the show. And I just want to say personally, thank you to you for putting together uh, your GFR structure because it does provide a super useful framework to go back and sort of pick apart some emotions and uh, limiting beliefs about what we're doing. So thank you. You're very welcome. Well, that was such a hoot. I have a fun gift from Jay. Of course, he's so funny. It's called Five Dumbass Mistakes That Otherwise Smart Entrepreneurs Make. (laughs) We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And he just has a a beautiful, irreverent way of sharing some really profound truths. So I think you'll enjoy that gift. And then if you are in our GFR squad, which is our $20 a month or $200 for the year membership, He does a whole separate training just for uh, our members called Don't Check Your Spiritual Gifts at the Door. It's not always about monetizing. So we have a really fun conversation about that. And if you're not a GFR squad member yet, you want to go to gfr.life forward slash squad and check that out. And then you'll get to be with us monthly on what we call our confession calls, where we take one of our GFR commandments and we take that confession question and we just use it as conversation. And not everybody confesses. Some people just show up and listen, but it's a really great vibe. And so that comes with your $20 a month. So you get all the behind the scenes trainings. You get um, to be on a Zoom call with me once a month and the community with a theme of one of our GFR Uh, confessions. And you also get some training on the GFR commandments as well. So if you want to dive into them deeper, there's some training there in our our membership site as well. So I hope that you will join us. We'd love to get to know you more. So go to gfr.life forward slash squad, and we'll see you on the other side. Over and out for now.